You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. Hey, this is JT. Welcome to another episode of The Critical Thought. In today's episode, we will be discussing the impact that shunning is having on so many people who have left this organization. We're going to have someone, her name is Carrie, and she is going to share with us what her personal journey has been dealing with this technique that Jehovah's Witnesses as an organization uses to punish those who leave. Now, along with that, we have our old buddy, Paul. Paul and I are going to sit here and share with you what we as elders have seen, how this is used, and why it is such an effective way of breaking a person's spirit. So once again, this is JT, and welcome to The Critical Thought. Hi, and I'm Lady C, and just to let you know, Carrie B is one of the first people that I interviewed on The Critical Thought some time ago, and she was actually on my program, The Struggles of Jehovah's Witness Women. So I'm very glad to be able to do a follow-up interview with her in this segment. So Carrie, I want to thank you so much for being on the program, and as well as Paul. We've enjoyed having him in previous episodes as well. Hi, my name is Carrie, and I was born and raised pretty much a Jehovah's Witness, um, only child of of two Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, very devout witnesses. Um, Grew up in it, ended up leaving. I got disfellowshipped twice. I mean, I have absolutely felt the impact of shunning for my entire life. Hi, I'm Paul, um, and I served as an elder for quite a few years, uh, all of my life in the organization. And currently I am being shunned. Um, I don't think that's the thing that's broken my heart the most. I think the thing that's broken my heart the most is see how other people have been treated. Uh, even when I was in the organization to see the impact of what disfellowshipping did to people, how it was carried out, uh, the reasons behind it, um, and the fact that it still goes on today in such a cruel way. Uh, I definitely you know, would like to present what I've seen over the years, what's been pushed in the publications, and really just analyze it to see if, if, if really this is something that witnesses, if they analyze it from a different angle, would they really see it as a loving provision from Jehovah? So here's a question from readers, and this was actually, it was a, a brother who's disfellowshipped who, who pointed my attention to it. And when he sent it to me, um, this was my first impression because it's asking the question, in the case where a father, a mother, a son, or daughter is in a relationship, how should such a person be treated by members of the family in their relationship? So it it's referring to someone who's disfellowshipped. It's asking how should the family treat them? Well, the first the first paragraph here says, we're not living today among any theocratic nations where such members of our fleshly family relationship could be exterminated for apostasy from God and his theocratic organization as was possible and was ordered in the nation of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai in the land of Palestine. And then they proceed to quote, you know, the fact that you should stone your relative to death. And if that's not enough, they say, unfortunately, you know, being limited by the laws of the worldly nation in which we live and also by the laws of God through Jesus Christ, we can take action uh, against apostates only to a certain extent that is consistent with both sets of laws. The law of the land and God's law through Christ forbid us to kill apostates, even though they be members of our own flesh and blood family relationship. So it, I think it sounds like they're, 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 they're shedding a sad tear that unfortunately we're not allowed to do this today. But if we were, wow, that would be like a, a dream world. Hey, man, um, they would love that. I told you, man, they, it's, it's as if they long for the good old days. Exactly, exactly. They're longing for the good old days. And they're saying, you know, under duress, unfortunately, we can't, we're, we're kind of like the Jews in Jesus' day where, you know, if they wanted to kill someone, they had to go get permission from the, from the local governor. But it's interesting how when you read what's written in this article, a lot of it is, is still practiced and taught today. Um, and, and, but some of it isn't. So, for example... It says, God's law does not allow a marriage partner to dismiss his mate because his mate becomes disfellowshipped or apostatizes. So, so JT, what do you know has changed since then? What, what have, have they now allowed uh, married individuals to do? 
Oh yeah, that's the that's the thing that uh in fact the elders will oftentimes actually approach the other spouse to let them know that you now have grounds if you want to so do so to leave your spouse because they are an absolute spiritual endangerment is a situation that you find yourself in. So now, unlike in the past, now they basically advocate that if your if your spouse is a, an apostate, you you know you, you don't have to stay with them. You you got reason to leave now. You got reason to leave. And so they they literally break up homes. And I and we we discussed this before we even went on uh, to do to shoot this to shoot this video. We we all know people where they found themselves in that situation where their spouse under the encouragement of the elders packed up and left. Yeah, and you know we, we know realistically this word apostasy it is applied even to those that just have doubts about certain teachings. And, you know, and like what you said, I know of two brothers who were elders and they had with regards to one or two teachings certain doubts and they happened to express their doubts. And of course it got to the word of the elders and within a short time the elders, the circuit overseer involved, and they were being labeled as going apostate. And a warning was given to their wives that, you know, you got to be careful your husband because, you know, he's going apostate. And all he did was had doubts about a few teachings and happened to mention them outwardly. And now he's being called going apostate or apostate. And in both of those cases, they, their wives packed up and left and it broke their hearts because both of them that I know of, um, they were willing to continue loving their wife, continue having a happy family, living with their doubts, maybe not being as active in the organization anymore, but they were not going to make an issue of anything or insist that their wife, you know, join them or accept their views. They, they were not pushy. They were not trying to convince their wives. They simply had to happen to express their doubts. They were labeled as apostates. The elders, the circuit overseer, the branch got involved and recommendations were made and the, the wives left their husbands. So I ask you, you know, are, is the organization on an organizational level wrecking people's family lives? Yes, it is. I've, I personally know people whose families have been destroyed just from expressing doubts. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you remember uh, a few years back, they had sent a letter to the circuit and the district overseer stating basically that a person doesn't even necessarily have to even say anything to others about what his doubts is. The mere fact that the elders are aware that this person is having doubts, that could be possible grounds for them to move along the lines of accusing this person of apostasy. So, so a lot of people say, well, if I don't say anything to anybody, I'm okay. Well, if according to the society's direction, and this is what makes it so dangerous with these guys, man, if the elders in the circuit of here want to push it, they say, well, we know that's how you feel. So you have apostasy in your heart. And so all of a sudden, man, you haven't said anything to anybody and you sitting in the back room trying to figure out what happened. So, I mean, the, the organization, man, uses their tools to force their members to do things. And that's, you know, and, and, and like you said, they hold our families as hostage and it's a very effective tool. Look what they say here, JT. It says, of course, if the children are of age, in other words, if the children become, you know, adults, there can be a departing and breaking of family ties in a physical way because the spiritual ties have already snapped. They're literally telling you that because you don't have this spiritual relationship with your family, that now is an automatic or it gives you the backing you need or you now have the right and God's backing to break the family ties. In other words, they're basically telling you that because you don't share the same viewpoint on certain spiritual matters, you no longer have to feel any sort of family love or obligation towards, you know, that person who has been disfellowshipped. It's like you said, if you want to talk about a lack of natural love, the organization gives people uh, the, the excuses that they, they need to justify rejecting someone as a family member and breaking off all contact. Mm -hmm. they, give right their, they give them their blessings. As, as exactly. Blessings. Take a look at what else they say in here. 
Satan's influence through the disfellowship member of the family will be to cause the other member or members of the family who are in the truth to join the disfellowship member in his course or in his position towards God's organization. What a blatant lie or what, you know, uh, basically painting anyone who's disfellowshipped as being someone under the influence of Satan and their ultimate goal is solely to convince their members of their family to leave the organization. You don't know how many people I've talked to who have left and they respect the free choice that their witness family members have made. And so they don't try to coerce them or convince them to leave. And here they are telling you that they're basically trying to, you know, scare the, 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 the brothers and sisters in the congregation by painting a disfellowship person as someone under Satan's influence who's just out to get you. Mm -hmm. You know, Satan's first cousin, Satan's first cousin. That's what they call you. So, anyways, I, I thought here, here's a funny one the marriage partner would render the marriage dues according to the law of the land <laughs> and in due payment for all material benefits bestowed and accepted. <laughs> I got, I, I couldn't stop laughing when I saw that. I was like, wait, so you got to have sex with your partner. Because they're paying your bills and the, the laws of the land say so? I, I, I didn't know the government insisted that people still have, I don't know. Have, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and but here oh, they man. are saying it in the watchtower, telling you you still got to have sex with them because, oh, you know what? The organization, you're, you're getting material benefits. <laughs> oh, the organization just gets in, you know, they, they, they get into people's business just too much, man. They, they really do, I tell you. And this is in the online watchtower? Uh yeah, you can you can bet after this video that the because uh, you know the organization they watch these videos. Yeah, hey there. Um, you, you're probably they're probably going to remove start removing these old watchtowers from online, but it's but it's okay. You know, I've got their watchtower library CD with everything from 1935. So yeah. the things he discovered. Yeah. You know, all you got to do is read an article, and it's just like wow. Like oh, they they overstepped their bounds. They, yes, you know, prying into people's personal lives, telling them what to do when. You know, people have a good head in their shoulders. People have love in their hearts. I think they should be able to figure it out on their own. Yeah, that's so, that so true. So, Carrie, could you share with the audience, um, when did you get this fellowship so that they can understand exactly how long you have actually experienced being shunned by your family? over the years? All right. I was disfellowshipped twice. Um, I was baptized at a very young age. And it was the second time that I got disfellowshipped that I realized that I didn't want to go back through that whole process of being reinstated and going back and forth. I just felt like I was completely out. Um, and it took a couple of years after that for my parents to start to start shunning me completely. They did make attempts for me to come back, you know, trying to get me to go to meetings. I happened to be running a home from them. So they were, they were starting to put restrictions on me, like no decorating for holidays. You got to start going to the meetings. And it just got to the point where I just moved out of there and I just started my life on my own. That's, that's one of the challenges that people have when they get this fellowship is that oftentimes you find yourself at the mercy of individuals who have these feelings and they will use all of these techniques to pressure you to do things. But once you moved out on your own, would your parents contact you or were you able to stay in contact at all? Well, the thing that made it difficult is that I have children. I have three children. Um, long story short, without getting into, you know, my first marriage, I did marry a worldly guy. The first one just to get out of my situation. So I had children, started family. Um, so I ended up leaving my ex-husband and then, you know, coming back thinking, you know, they're going to be there for me. Well, they were not. Um, I literally had to worry about the relationship that my older daughter had with my parents. So I let them have contact, but I kept my two younger ones, you know, away from them because I didn't want them to form any bonds with them. So I would have that struggle with them as well. Um, but eventually it just faded out. We, we pretty much completely, uh, lost track of each other, didn't communicate, um, I did, and with my book, when I wrote that, my parents heard about it. So we did have a little bit of bad conversations um, about that. And ever since then, it's been zero, zero uh, contact. Uh, but the impact through the years has is definitely greatly affected me and my children. 
Yeah. Does your children have any type of contact with their grandparents? No. Um, my older daughter, she's um, she started her own family. So, of course, she's her loyalty. She's been the one that's probably been impacted you know, with my children the most because she did have that relationship with them. And then she had my grandson. So she was starting to look at generations, but it fizzled out pretty much too. She stayed in contact with my mother a little bit here and there, but it was a very strange relationship. It's hard to, it, she was always stuck in the middle. Yeah. The, the, the kids are always the ones that get, um, they, they get caught little, like you said, in the middle. And we mm -hmm. know other individuals who it's very much the same. In fact, there are some people, uh, and it's on both sides. The, the grandparents have not seen the grandchildren and the grandchildren mm -hmm. on one side have not been allowed right. to see the grandparents. And so this is all part of this shunning. And and we know over the years, since all of us, Paul, myself, my wife and, and, and you, since we've been around this organization for many years, we know over the years it is as, it is as if they have tightened down the screws in a desire to, to make people want to come back. So if we make it harder for them, then they'll come back. And from what you have seen, do you find that technique to really be effective? I do. You know, I, I know my own situation. I know my own story. But when I see in the XJW community through the years where we've been so involved and you see these new ones coming out, you see what they're dealing with. You see uh, children that are shunning their parents, parents shunning their children, brothers and sisters. It just divides families up so bad. You know, and I feel like I had a good outcome in my life, but I know that's not what, you know, everybody's experience. You know, you have your suicides, you have your depression, and it's so vast. When I see other people's stories, it just makes me feel like I'm strong. I'm going to I'm gonna show everyone how to get through this. Yeah. <laughs> that's my desire, but it's not always the easiest thing, but it can be done. There is so much life outside of the Watchtower. Sometimes, unfortunately... You have to give up your family. You have to say, I'm never going to have that relationship that I want to have with them. I'm never going to become a witness. I'm never going to, they're never going to leave. I know my parents will never leave. So I had to mourn our relationship all these years. Um, yeah. So that's what, what it's been for me. Yeah. And, and, and we understand that. And so, you know, one of the things my wife and I, when we talk to people, that is one of the things that we tell people is that you need to settle in your mind that there is a possibility that they may never leave. They may never open up their arms again. And, and, it's, and it's a very cold reality, mm -hmm. but it's real. Mm -hmm. Because that is what they oh, have yeah. been taught to do. And we know what the talks and the conventions that they've been having, the publications they've been having, it is stressing for people to tighten down on this. And of course, basically, they're under the threat of being dealt with as well. So right. you got you got a gun against your head, gun against their head. And of course, as a result, as it were, you get the results that you want. Right. And so that's why when people say you think the organization will ever give up the shunning, probably not, because it is one of their most powerful tools is the process of having people shun their family and friends that they've known for decades. And, the time. and one of the ways that I've used to cope with that and that I tell a lot of ex-witnesses who are being shunned, you almost have to... You almost have to kind of put it, like you said, just put it in your mind. And with my parents, I kind of just had to mourn them, accept it, and look at them as victims. That yeah. that helps me the most. Look at, look at them as victims. They're the ones that missed out on my life and their grandchildren's lives. They missed out on so much. Did I miss out on a lot of them? Yeah. The, the position that they're in is my parents and the grandparents. That's all we've missed out on. I have to sit and realize we didn't miss them as people because all it would have been was back and forth, back and forth shunning. So I turned the tables and I said, you know, well, I'm shunning them back. We're, we're good. We're good. You shun me. I'm going to be completely fine shunning you as well. And if, you know, and you, you kind of realize, you know, you may, I'm, we may, you know, they may pass away. My parents are in their seventies and they may end up passing away and I'll never have that real closure. I've tried to get it. You know, I often think of what, you know, a criminal enterprise would do if they wanted for some rich man to, you know, give in to their demands, you know, of giving them a million dollars or whatever. What they do is they kidnap a family member. 
you know, they don't take his car and say, we're not giving your car back unless you give us money. Uh, they take a family member and they usually take the one that's dearest to this person. And it's a very effective tool because there's no one closer to you than your family. And of course, um, you know, someone who's a lot, has a lot of wealth and his son has been, you know, kidnapped and they're demanding a ransom. Um, he would do anything. He would do anything to get his son back. And that's why, you know, there's, I've spoken with a lot of, you know, witnesses that were disfellowshipped. Um, a number of them could not live with the fact of not having their family anymore. And so they went through the motions of getting reinstated just to get their family back. They gave in to the demands of the governing body, the cruel demands, because it really is resembles what criminal organizations will do to get someone to give in. And, and that's what really the reinstatement process is, is you're trying to force, twist someone's arm. They've held your family. They've got them in the kingdom hall. And there's no way you'll ever get them back unless you come back uh, to the kingdom hall. And so I don't know about you, JT, but even when I had was an elder in the organization, uh, you tell me, I saw a lot of people who got reinstated. And very shortly after reinstatement, you didn't see them anymore. And so what you understood was, you know what, they probably just wanted their family back. And I don't knock them because you know what, there's no one closer than your family. And I don't think the governing body will give up shunning because it will mean they lose control over people's personal lives and their families. And it's a, the most effective tool. It's the dearest thing that you can take from somebody. I, I fully agree. There are people who come and, and we know people right to the day they decide to, to go back in and, um, you know, once once they get everything squared away, they, but this is kind of interesting that they did that the people I have talked to who decide to, to decide to, to go back into the organization. Um, after a, a, a period of time, they either have to leave again or they just have to just go away because the pressure to now show that they're back and they're going to they're going to be at the meeting. It, it start it's it the beat, as they say, the beatings start all over again. Yeah. And, uh, well, Carrie said that she was this fellowship twice. So, Carrie, what, what did that look like for you the first time? When I first um, was disfellowship for the first time, I was an older teenager, and I was still yeah. living with my parents. So, what I I almost had to go back to meetings yeah. because if I was living under their household. Yeah. I had to. So, if I didn't go to meetings, yeah. I was pregnant at the time with my oldest yeah. daughter. I was sick. There was times I couldn't go to the meetings. I was disfellowship. Yeah. I'm pregnant. You know, a young girl, sick here and there. And my father was treating, who's, who's an elder, by the way, was treating me terribly. Even my mother, who is his avid follower, she was even telling him, stop treating her so bad. If I didn't go to the meeting, I he even threw a cat at me one time. He threw a cat with claws at me because he his anger was, he was embarrassed because he lost his position as an elder. He stepped down. So of course I had all that negative energy on me too. So it, it, I, I got reinstated because I had to, and I didn't want to, you know, be a, a pregnant 19 year old out in the streets. So I had no choice, but to get reinstated. So, so a question for you, Carrie, if you hadn't continued to comply with coming to meetings and working for your reinstatement, what would your parents have done? Oh, if I didn't continue, I probably would have been thrown out of the house. Yeah, exactly. That's what it, worse. That's it what I wanted to get physical. at. My father was getting physical with me. Oh, yeah. That's what I wanted to get at. So here we go. So one thing I'd like to say about that, Carrie and, and, and Lady CJT, is that um, the organization, like JT has often said, nobody does hypocrisy like the organization. And hypocrisy really is a form of lying. And what I want to bring out is that uh, on screen here, we have a clip, and this is from the Supreme Court of Canada. And this is not just any lawyer. This is the Bethel lawyer. His name is David Ganam. Uh, he's also uh, appointed elder in one of the congregations of Jehovah's Witnesses, and he's been with the legal department for quite some time. So here he is representing the Canada branch, representing the organization, if you want to put it that way, in the Supreme Court. And notice what he says about disfellowshipping here. The nature of the relationship then of a disfellowshipped person is not completely shunned. 
the disfellowship person is able to come into the congregation, to the congregation meetings, they're able to attend uh, in the kingdom hall of Jehovah's Witnesses, they're able to sit wherever they like, they can sing the, the spiritual songs with the congregation. As far as their family members are concerned, normal family relations continue with the exception of spiritual fellowship. So now that you've actually seen what the Bethel lawyer, uh, uh, a long-time witness and elder in the congregation, has gone to the Supreme Court of Canada and basically, I mean, not basically, he actually said word for word that when someone is disfellowshipped, normal family relations continue. Normal family relationship continues. So I ask anyone who's been disfellowshipped to come out and tell me that their family relationship stayed the same when they were disfellowshipped, that normal family relationships continued. The reality is it's the exact opposite. David Ganem actually lied to the Supreme Court of Canada by saying that this religion allows for normal family relationships to continue when someone's disfellowshipped. And the reality is they don't allow it and they don't even teach it. They teach the contrary. They teach you to shun your family members when they're disfellowshipped. They teach you that your family relationship is not as important. So, you know, I'm calling out not just David Ganam as a, you know, a lawyer that's on the bar for, for Canada, um, but I'm calling out the organization for having lied in the Supreme Court of Canada. It's perjury to present something that's completely false when, in fact, you're teaching something else and practicing something else. What do you think about this, Carrie, JT, Lady C? Do normal family? Have you ever seen where normal family relationships continue and where the organization doesn't interfere or doesn't tell you what to do with your family? Very rarely, every now and again in all my communications with other XJWs, very rarely will I see um, re where relationships have continued. But it does happen where I do see it. Um, I would say that those were probably the lesser devout families, but I do see it every now and again. But the majority of the time, these relationships are completely, you know, destroyed. And... and where the normal where there is someone disfellowship and let's just say it kind of continues normal it actually is because the rest of the family is not following what the governing body has been telling them to exactly correct oh absolutely yeah i i had an experience in cuba and um there was a, a brother there and he told me that when his daughter was 16 she got pregnant and she was disfellowshipped and the elders came to him and pressured him to kick her out of the house. They pressured him to boot her out onto the street. And uh, when, he, when he explained to, to the elders, listen, this is my daughter, she's a minor. She's not prepared to go out and face the world at 16 on the street with a baby. They said, well, you're gonna be removed as a servant. You know, they came along with all of the threats and disciplines. And he says, you know what? You can take away whatever privileges you want. I'm not putting my daughter out on the street. I'm going to help her. I'm going to do whatever I can. She's going through a bad moment right now. She's made some bad decisions, but I'm not going to throw her out on the street. He was and a good he, one. Yeah, he was one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah, and you know, was. he was going against what's actually taught on an organization level. Yeah. I know some um, family friends of mine, and we were all stationed. Um, our dad, my, our dads were um, stationed on the same military base. It was three Jehovah's Witness women at the time. It was very unusual to have three Jehovah's Witness women who had husbands that were stationed at the same military base. That was really unusual for me. And so this one sister, she was very, very um, adamant about, you know, I'm going to follow these rules that the Watchtower sets out. And what she would do if any of her kids were disfellowshipped, she would not have anything to do with them at all. And it wasn't even about, you know, um, them being thrown out of the house because at some point they just left. But her husband was not one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I remember talking to her on the phone one day and she said, um, the kids are here visiting with their father because their dad, who was not a Jehovah's Witness, would not allow her, the mother to tell the kids they couldn't come there. But the mother, when the kids came home, she would have absolutely nothing to do with those kids. And when I say kids, I'm talking about these are grown adults now. 
-hmm. You know, and she stuck to her guns to the point where pretty much all of them are back into the watchtower. It's common. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 the, the point that, that he made, and, and everybody is really on point. Um, when Jehovah's Witnesses make the statement that normal family relations continue, what they do, they take full advantage of, and, and I, I've got to find this watchtower. I, 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 I've, someone showed this to me probably 15, 20 years ago. I got to find it. It's, it was something that Russell had said, and uh, he, he, he made the point that if our enemies do not understand what words mean to us, it's not our fault. And so when they use the word normal relationships, people are thinking family get together, social activities, everything is normal. And the witness knows that's not the truth. And probably the best example is their, is their official training video. And I like to refer to it just as that. Some Jehovah's Witnesses will walk out and say, well, I know somebody who, you know, they treat their children okay and this and that. And what they're giving is anecdotal examples. I always tell people, this is the test. If you want to see something, this is the test. Which family would be put on the convention before tens of thousands of people as an example, the family that says, well, we call off, I'll just fellowship soon up, check on him every couple of weeks, make sure he's okay and everything, and have him over to the house and the grandkids. Or the one that says, brother, we have remained faithful, just like we learned in the video that showed us what we needed to do. And that's the test. And I, I, you know, I, I laugh at anybody who throws out anecdotal things. The, the question is, what is the test? Who is going to be standing on that stage talking about how they have not talked to their son in 17 years and everybody is going to clap. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really the test. Oh, yeah. Everyone's going to meet them doing intermission. Brothers, good. You've been faithful. You've been hanging in there. That's what they're going to be told. The person who says they got their family over every weekend, they will not be commended. So the organization puts out, as always, two sets of scales. And, uh, and, and so that, to me, is really the test. Who gets to go on the assembly and get to invoke the training video that showed every Jehovah's Witness parent the proper and mature way to treat their kids? And as, as Kerry mentioned, the issue of being thrown out, and you mentioned as well, Paul and my wife, we all know people who, when the father was told or the mother was told, choose between your title and your kid. There's a lot of people who are watching this video right now. And they will tell you their parents chose the title. So, you know, it, it, the, the shunning is serious. Um, and, and I'm glad you brought that point out about the guy in Canada because, you know, the, the organization man has no problem. Just they, they, they lie with a straight face. I mean, they can lie with a straight face. And, uh, and it's very sad. It's very yeah. Sad. And, you know, individuals, like you said, JT, like, you know, maybe they're trying to defend the organization and they pick out these examples they're defending an organization, but they're picking out an example of someone who actually didn't follow yes. the, the instructions of the organization. That's yes. actually, in my mind, doing the right thing by showing love to their family. Yes. Um, if you're going to defend the organization, well, then pull up something that the organization has said that actually <laughs> declares them innocent. But as you know, we have that video that was shown at that assembly not too long ago. And at this fellowship, daughter is phoning and they can see on the call display, you know, who it is. And don't answer it. And, you know, the, the audience clapping, you know, because she didn't answer the phone. You know, um, it's yeah. just I mean, what if her daughter was was sick and in hospital and on her dying bed? Like, uh, you know, nope, there's no exceptions. Like and that's what they're trying to teach to all the brothers and sisters in the organization. You have to look at what are they teaching people yes. and not not just in the videos and the articles, but also when you see bodies of elders that act in harmony consistently worldwide where they put pressure on family members to cut off or kick out or completely ignore those that have been disfellowshipped it shows you that even if it wasn't written well the fact that it's being done worldwide by all the body of elders tells you that the teaching is coming from somewhere and it's being sent out everywhere you know it's a unified approach yeah. you have to also keep in mind about the the shunning is um one of the biggest things i've seen is Individuals will say, 
you know what you did wrong and you need to get it right with Jehovah. And so um, that's the biggest thing is that everyone is looking at you like you have done something wrong, but you have to remember that everyone that gets this fellowship doesn't get this fellowship because they did something wrong. It's maybe they don't believe in the teachings anymore. And so you can't get that right if you don't believe it. So it's really, really difficult for them to, to, to um, make a distinction between I just left because I don't believe this is the truth. And I broke one of their cardinal rules, you know, kind of thing. That's another thing that I, I personally don't agree with. I'm not here to, you know, uh, convince others of my, my personal views. But realistically, how is it that they declare certain sins being like, you know, uh, uh, serious sins and other ones not. And so this one merits a judicial commission. That one doesn't like realistically, you know, if you lie, I mean, according to the scriptures, God hates liars. You should be before a judicial committee every time you lie, you know, and if they, if, if they actually did that, no one would, no one would be left in the organization. Yeah, I know. This is true. Um, like yeah. why, why do they, why are they picking and choosing as to, Jehovah's well, you know, for this, them. Yeah, I know, right? Different directions. Yeah, that 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 is that that is that, that is that's oftentimes what I pose to Jehovah's Witnesses is how the organization is able to declare something as a sin or a violation of the word of God on Monday, and you'll be disfellowshipped for it. And then by the end of the week, it's now a conscious matter. I mean, the 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 the, the idea that some people in New York can decide that this is a sin against God, disfellowship, you take your whole family, and then Five days later, it's, it's okay. And if you don't stop and ask yourself, hold up, how do you get, how did you do that magic trick like that? You know, and that's what it is. So, yeah, so like Carrie, I, I would like to know from Carrie, like, what was it like being in your family before you um, got this fellowship the first time? Um, I well, growing up, I could see my family, my parents. It was just myself and my parents. I could see them morph into becoming more and more devout. Um, my mother at first was a little rebellious. She was like, oh, I'm tired. I want to go to meetings. But then the more I rebelled as a teenager, the closer she pushed towards my father. So it was like me against them. I mean, growing up, we had wonderful vacations. We had wonderful memories. I did have that bond with my mother, a very close relationship. And it all literally disintegrated throughout that, you know, through my teenage years. And then by the time I left, there was nothing left. And, you know, it's, it's just been it's been difficult ever since. But I've gotten to a point where I completely accept it. And it doesn't really every now and again, I'll things will hit me like, wow, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> you yeah. know, what has right. happened to me? Like, that's messed up. Why did that have to be my lot in life? You know, because I, I would love to have had a mother to go do things with. But the beauty of that is, is I've made so many friendships that I have, I feel like I've replaced all my family. I feel like I've replaced my parents. I feel like, I feel like I've had all that fulfilled, but I know there's a lot out there that, that haven't had that, you know, yeah. but it helps. It helps to create such close friendships with others to kind of fill that void. Yeah. Do you, do you think that if your father never became an elder, that your, your home life would have looked a little bit different? Um, my father is a pretty unique character probably our relationship was was great when I was little but the older I got and I started developing my own mind he didn't like that he's very controlling very he never even let my mother work so I don't think our relationship would have been great either way but I feel like he was drawn to the witnesses and that's what got into his head and allowed him to be his self you know power hungry yeah I mean, not only was he in charge, but then the Watchtower say he was in charge. Right? Yeah, if, he liked that. He, he liked that, yeah. And, yeah, and loved it. Still yeah, does to this it, day. It, it, his personality and everything. And, and it's coming forth, like you said. Um, but I, I think the point that you made about your parents and everything, um, we have had so many people tell us that their parents have told them that you're no longer my child. Um, and once again, this kind of goes back to what we try to do on our form, is let people know of the things that they will have to deal with and to let people know you need to prepare for this. Um, like you said, Carrie, you may have to look at other people as your mother or your father. 
because until they actually take the time to, to come to grips with what they are part of, they may never leave. They may never change. And so we can't put our lives on pause while we're waiting for them to decide what they want to do. We do have to continue to live our lives. And how lucky these new ones coming out are. When yes. we were coming out, we did not have the support. We didn't have social media. We didn't have the internet to really, the groups, and and to be able to see that other people were going through the same things as us. So what better ones to really help than us oldies that can say, hey, we were in your shoes, but we didn't have these groups. We didn't have, We weren't able to hear these stories from all over the world that didn't turn out so great. We, yeah. we didn't have that. Yeah. So you know, you're absolutely that, right. That's, that's true. That's, that's, that's true. On, on that, on that subject, um, I've, I've had a couple people reach out to me because they were disfellowshipped and distraught and like going out of their mind and they mm -hmm. just needed someone to talk to. And mm -hmm. it's interesting because, um, while I was disfellowshipped, I, myself, the first year, uh, it was hard on me. It was really hard. And that's why I have so much feeling for anyone that has gone through it because i would never want to put anyone through that ever again mm -hmm. uh, and in fact even my father you know he he asked me one time if i if i'd come back and i said i would never come back because i'd have to support your practice of of the way you treat disfellowshipped ones if i came back you'd probably find me helping out all the, these disfellowshipped ones and in no time i would be disfellowshipped for having contact with them so uh, and I consider it, it really dishonors Christ, their, their practice. But um, going to kind of a, a sort of an interesting thing about the way they're treated, uh, I was reading a an article and it was about isolation. Um, kind of, it was an, a, a study that was done in Montreal, Canada. It was a scientific study uh, regarding what happens to people when you put them in isolation. They were doing the study because they wanted to determine the long-term effects of people that were put in. Um, what's the, when you're in prison? They put you in what's the what's the expression? Um, oh. Solitary confinement, oh. right? Oh. Solitary confinement. So they they wanted to know um, what are the time periods that you could put someone in, and the effects at one week, at two weeks, at three weeks. And this scientific study showed that after a week of people being just left on their own in a room, like this study was not done in a prison. It was done where people were, you know, they wear their normal clothes. They were not under judgment. They were not serving 20 years. So they had nothing to be depressed about. They were just part of a study. They volunteered to be put in a room and have no one talk to them, no human interaction for a week. And they actually started to go out of their mind. They started to hallucinate. They started to think things that weren't happening. And these are people that were perfectly sane, not criminals, not under judgment, volunteer, volunteers, and just not having human contact for a week. They started to think things that weren't real. And, it, and you know, they didn't have access to drugs or alcohol. It wasn't for that. It was literally that when you're cut off, you're left with only your own thoughts. And your mind can go really far if you're left all mm -hmm. alone. And I just thought, wow, you know, like that's what people who 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 don't profess to serve God or understand the love of Christ, uh, they they've discovered that it's extremely harmful and it causes terrible emotional mental damage. And you know, they pulled people out of those rooms before they went crazy. Obviously, they didn't want to, <laughs> you know, damage their their volunteers. But that that the, the, the I was just like blown away and I was like, you know what? This is what the organization is doing. They, they won't even let you reach out and talk to someone and say, you know what? You, you can still be my friend. You may not still have the same beliefs or maybe, you know, you're, you've walked down the wrong path and you're, you're making mistakes in your life, but I want to let you know that you're still here, right? Like I'm still here for you. You know, if you still need someone to talk to, there are a few witnesses like that. Yes. There are a few gems, you could say, but they're going against what they're being taught. The, the teaching of the organization is put them in an isolation room, leave them there, minimum six months or a year, no one talking to them, no one giving them a word of encouragement. And if they happen to survive with part of their sanity, then we'll welcome them back later on. Mm -hmm. you know? I've, yeah. got that, I've got an article on, on, on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, the walls are closing in on me. 
suicide and self-harm in New York State solitary confinement units. Is this one of the ones that you were talking about, Paul? No, um, I, I, from what I can see on your screen, uh, this is actually a study of what happened to people in prison when they were put in solitary confinement. The study that I saw was just volunteers being put in a quiet room with no stimulation, for, you know, like TV, radio, no one talking to them, just being left on their own, right? Okay. So, but same, same end effect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, in the end, it, 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 People are left with their own thoughts and they go really far with their own thoughts and they need people to bring them back to reality and to remind them that they're worth something that, you know, even if you don't agree or even if you're doing this, you're still a human being and, you know, there's still valuable things about you and don't give up on yourself. I, I wish I had that when I was disfellowshipped. Um, I had no one. And I remember even going to a coffee shop just so I could see people because, uh, I didn't have anyone phoning me. Uh, I didn't have any friends. Um, it was it was difficult. Fortunately, I didn't go crazy. But um, you know, there it, I understand why so many people who are disfellowshipped. They need to see a psychologist, a psychiatrist. They need someone to talk to because they're just in their mind. They're just they feel like a reject. They feel like a piece of garbage, and everyone is treating them like that, right? So, uh, and no one's talking to them. No one that cares about them, right? Right. So, yeah. So, Carrie, how did you it's, handle that? How did how did you handle the? Um, you know, I, I know that you you you've seemed to have bounced back. You've met a lot of people, replaced your family, but like, how did you handle it at first? What was it like? Well, it was it was difficult at first, but I feel like I had a distraction because I was going. I put myself in a you know situation. Um, with my first marriage where I was, my main concern was survival. I had this horrible abusive relationship that I was in. I had children. So I was a little distracted and my parents kept saying, just come home, come home. We're going to help you out. Did not work out that way. Um, but then at that point it was just myself and my children. They were all little ones. And the thing about what I was going to say earlier about when you're raised as a witness, not only are you, now isolated from the whole entire world, you're isolated from everybody that you ever knew growing up. So when I first left, I was alone. I didn't have my worldly relatives um, because I was pretty much criminalized. I feel by my parents, I really get that. You know, they, it's another long story, but I really literally had no one. And I fought through it. I, you know, there was times I wanted to get depressed there was times that I wanted to just give up and say, hey, you know, I'll just go back just because I have nobody and I have nothing. I don't know what to do. But it was a matter of just fighting through it. Um, it wasn't easy. I mean, it took years and years to get where I am now. Um, but it, it wasn't easy by any means. Because, you, you know, you want those relationships back in your life. You'd hear of some witnesses that you grew up with, some older ones passing away. And I'd be teary eyed. I'm like, I cared about these people. And then here we are, I cannot, you know, none of, none of them, you know, can, can talk to me. And that was difficult, you know, but got through that. Yeah. J just to piggyback off what Paul said, and uh, we're going to leave some links in this particular video. Um, the, the newspaper articles that, that we, that Lady C and I had, had taken a peek at, which is very fascinating. It dealt with Rikers Island. And if you don't know what Rikers Island is, it is the prison for New York City. It is considered probably the largest prison in the United States. Um, and the article dealt with how a lot of the psychologists are now trying to get the rules and the laws changed when it comes to this issue of isolation. Because what they are literally seeing it is literally breaking people down to where they cannot function. And that is by design. And so the point is the organization, and so I tell people all the time, you need to understand when you're feeling alone and you're feeling by yourself, this is all by design. The organization literally wants you to crawl back on your knees on broken glass. And so they shut you down in such a manner. And so it's very, very difficult. But to keep in mind, this is by design. And unfortunately, that is when we hear about those who end up uh, taking their lives. They have literally been pushed the envelope all the way to the edge of the table. 
and they can't stop. And so this is why this thing is so serious. Um, it has serious mental health ramifications for people. And like Paul, like he was saying, though, you know, whenever you leave a group like that, every time they do studies or just any type of research on this type of scenario, it always turns out negative. There's nothing positive about throwing a person into a hole and leaving them by themselves. And we often think of just a person being isolated, but for a witness, they become isolated in their mind. You, they could be living in Chicago, Detroit, and there are people who are watching this video. And you're going to see the post when we're, when we're done. There are people who actually live in major metropolitan cities with millions of people, like you mentioned before, and they feel literally by themselves. And as you mentioned, you know, you went to to get some coffee, and that's and that's the way it is because the the mind can end up being impacted so severely that this is how you feel, and this is why you know I think. It's very important that these types of videos with people giving their personal life experience is so important um, because we as formal witnesses, we have personally lived this and we see the results in the lives of so many people that we meet and interact with on a regular basis. We really. I, I would like to say <laughs> that when we left the religion, we knew it wasn't the truth. Yes. And when we first left, I was feeling really really bad because I felt like my character had been assassinated. And even though I knew it wasn't the truth, I remember walking into the post office one day when we moved to our new location and I looked at all the people and I was saying, I wonder what they're thinking about me right now. They're probably thinking she should get back to the kingdom hall, you know, and these people didn't know me from Adam, but I felt down. Because I was feeling like I knew that the people that we knew, they were looking at us and they were calling us bad people. And so I looked at this one man that was walking at the post office and I said, I wonder how his friends are looking at him. Do they look at him the same way our old friends are looking at us? And it took me a little while to get myself together to make myself feel good about where I was at, because even though I know we walked out and we realized it wasn't the truth, it still had an effect on me. It was, oh, it sure. was a little, it was, it was kind of hard yeah. for a while. Yeah. And you start wondering too, like how much of my personality was, or my activities and all that I was involved with was shaped by the organization. Oh, yeah. And you start asking yourself, what would I have been like without like, yeah. you know, yeah. and you start analyzing yourself. Um, and it, I know some people actually have like withdrawal symptoms because they were so busy preaching. Yeah. <laughs> now they realize half of what they were preaching wasn't the truth. Um, they're like, well, okay, what do I do with my time now? Like, oh, I, I feel like yeah. I'm a deadbeat because like, I'm not doing anything for God right now. You know, like they, 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 they still are trapped in the mentality that, you know, when you're giving, uh, you're giving, you know, giving to the organization, you're giving to God. When you're, when you're preaching, you're giving to God. And so when you stop, some people are think, well, I'm doing nothing now. Right. And that's not true. You know, there's so right. many things you can do for other people, yeah. you know, that regardless of their creed, regardless of, whether you know them or don't know them and you show acts of kindness, yeah. you know, like, Absolutely. you know, why, why do you think you have to do something within the organization for God to notice? Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. but Paul, I'm glad you said, I'm glad you said it <laughs> withdrawal symptoms because I think that's what I was having, When I was feeling bad knowing that this wasn't the truth. How could you be feeling bad? And you know, it's not the truth, but see, that's why when we, when we get emails from people, you can't have one conversation with somebody and say, get over it. Because you're not going to get over it like oh, no, that. Oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, like JT has often said, the organization is good at keep making keep people stay busy, right? Busy, busy, busy. So you know what? When you leave, it's like you have all this time. So you know what? Join clubs. Do your hobbies. Uh, go help people. Do Yeah, just stay busy in something else, you know? Build a whole uh, new, my mom said build a whole new clientele of friends. But you have to get over, but you have to get over the initial feeling of rejection oh yeah yeah oh, and yeah. until you get over that initial feeling of rejection no matter you know what you know you're gonna still have to that's gonna have to wear off yeah and, and then when it, it, it's not because when you when you get when you first leave you know it's it's almost like a, a person 
who is getting out of a bad relationship mm -hmm. and they're trying to show people, I don't need that person anyway, but right. they don't really feel that way because they still feel hurt and all that kind of stuff. So it takes a little bit of time for all that to wear off. And another thing too, is that, um, you know, as human beings, we, we like to have other people around us to reinforce our idea to make us feel secure. Yeah. So what happens is when you leave the organization, you're one man or one woman out and you're having these feelings, you're asking yourself, am I the only one or could I be right? Because you're thinking I'm one man or one woman and, and I see it this way, but then there's 8 million that, that have no problem with it and they buy into it and they believe it as truth. So you're thinking, there's no way me being one person that I could be right and you could have 8 million people wrong. So it gives you this sense of insecurity. And that's why it's so important to, re to really analyze, analyze what you're reading, what you're seeing. Um, you know, in my case, it's different than perhaps other viewers, but I just analyze the gospels and I analyze the life of Christ and his teachings. And I, every time I looked at what they were doing for people who had made mistakes, it was exact opposite of the way Jesus treated people. And I thought, even if I'm only the one man out and there's 8 million that buy into it, I've got Jesus Christ as the example here in the way he treated people who made mistakes. And that's, I'm going with that. <laughs> even if someone says, you know, Paul's wrong and the 8 million people are right, I'm going with what Jesus did, right? So, you know, that's, that's my personal, personal story. Right. Well, Carrie, you mentioned that when you weren't when you were no longer one of jehovah's witnesses that your mother and father kind of demonized you to the worldly family oh yeah so what did that kind of look like well you know you figure you, you leave i got just i got pregnant i got disfellowshipped okay i got into a bad marriage and that was really the extent of my badness you know what i mean i i didn't go out i didn't become a criminal i didn't do anything like that i just left but I could tell by the way that I was treated, viewed. I've had some incidents with some um, worldly relatives basically telling me, you know, don't say anything to me about your parents. They, they you know, they're, they're, they treat us so good. They get, you know, my parents give them money. They, they treat them so good. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you're okay with the fact that they shun me. You know, this is my life, you know, my parents are eventually going to pass away. I'm not going to any funerals. Are you not thinking about me and, and how much hurt that I have in me to even attend a funeral or to even entertain that, you know? And I think that just based on, you know, they take, they took what I did and they ran with it. Oh, she, you know, she married this worldly guy. Of course they didn't call them worldly. They, she, she got involved with this man and, you know, she had these kids and she was promiscuous. My parents, like my father loved the word promiscuous, which is not true. You know, I married a worldly guy. So that just made me the world's worst prostitute. I don't know, but that's how they, they look at me. All the things that we it. have done for her, we it gave her well. the truth. We gave her this and we handed the truth to her on a silver platter since, the, since she was an infant. I just betrayed all that. So therefore I am worse than a worldly person. I'm the worst ever. And then I now, now I am the world's worst apostate in their eyes. That's true. Yeah, because you were saying that once they found out you, about your book, then it got even worse. How did they find out about your book? Um, well, marketing it on Facebook. I, you know, I had some worldly family members that went to my mother and said, all Carrie's trying to capitalize. Hold on. <laughs> Carrie is trying to capitalize on her upbringing by complaining about it. Yes. Yeah, okay. Pretty that, that's pretty. That's pretty standard. That 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 is pretty standard. Um, that's the standard talking point that witnesses use, um, and and it's and it's understandable. It's actually understandable, and the reason okay. why is because for the typical Jehovah's Witness, they will spend their entire life defending the organization. I mean, it is the death. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. I mean, it is what it is. Well, and, of, and of course, their their famous practice of somehow knowing exactly all your motives. Yes, you know, yeah, they they just know the reason why you did something, right? And of course, most of the time, they're way off. Yeah, <laughs> so. always. <laughs> I mean, I, I I look. I mean, I I look at I look at my wife and I. 
you know, I mean, we left the organization and it wasn't because we didn't get along with people, stealing, you know, robbing, you know, selling drugs, none of that. And so they find it very difficult to put us into a box um, because we didn't leave because we, quote unquote, did something wrong. And, the, and it bothers so many people um, because they can't. They, 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 it's, it's like it's like greasing a pig. You can't you can't hold on to it. It keeps getting away because we don't fit that we don't fit the mold, and and we realize that, and that's why we use this platform for that reason. Because there are people who watch this program, and they'll tell us they'll call us, man. I I I, I thought y'all were gonna be just angry, you know, just just going off. Nah, we reach a point in our life where we feel pity. Like like Carrie said, after a while, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. After a while. You're not angry at you. you the, the anger moves into more of, I feel sorry for Pity. I'm telling you, man, I got, yeah. Chief, I know people, like some of the boys I went with, these boys have been doing this stuff for 30 years. I got, I know guys right now, they have been trying to get into the traveling work for 30 years. 30 years. And they will not be getting that new car every year. And as a result, they have maintained their financial situation just in case they get that call and they can liquidate everything in 30 days, which means they don't have nothing. And they're just getting older and older and older. They're, like, they're not getting the traveling work. So I don't need them. They, you know, they don't need them anymore. And these guys are still just hanging on. They might call JT. I don't know. We're going to keep pawing in, living poor. You know, it's like, man, you go get a job, man. And so. Um, well, I always look at it like being a Jehovah's Witness is like going to the lottery or going to the um, casino because it's like they're waiting for that big payout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one day Jehovah's going to call their number and Armageddon's going to come and destroy everybody. And then, you know, they're going to be standing there with that JW lottery ticket. Yeah. yeah. And how selfish they are though. I mean, you sacrificed your family. You put your disfellowshipped family, the family that you rejected, you're putting them out of your life your grandkids' life, everybody, for what? So that you can maybe have a chance at living forever. That's like so selfish. Yeah. I would die right now if I needed to for my children or anybody in my family that, or anybody I cared about. I would get, I would sacrifice myself. Um, and if that, you know, and from a Christian standpoint, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in Christianity, but that's my personal choice. But if you're a Christian, you should be the most self-sacrificing person there is. So you, to, to give up your family for that chance to live forever as a young person, to me is the ultimate selfishness. I'm, I'm going to cause you emotional turmoil by shunning you. Also that I can be 21 again or 23 or whatever they say you're going to grow to. So I could be young again forever and live forever with pandas and, 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 you know, lions, just that belief system alone is selfish and disgusting to me. It is. Yeah. And Carrie, you and I talked a while ago about your mother. I think it was you. And can you share with our audience the reason why your mother said that she didn't want to get to know her grandkids? Well, she had a she had a preference for my older daughter. She she just never clicked with my two youngest ones since they were babies. You know, but she, she was always focused. My father wrote me a letter one time basically telling me that he wanted to redeem himself for losing me to the world through my oldest daughter. So at that point, I feel like he he my parents completely gave up on me coming back and they focused all their attention on her. Um, and, and that's pretty much what happened. They, they were able to drop me easily. The other two, they had no interest in from birth. No interest whatsoever. Now, were you the one that told me that your parents said there was no need in you, them getting to know them because they were going to be destroyed at Armageddon? Um, no, but that sounds like something they would say. <laughs> so that must have been somebody else that was telling me about that one. Okay. They did tell, my father did write my daughter a letter and sent it to her school. And she told her she was in sixth grade, sent it to her school and told her that if she, it was two or three pages typed typed, not handwritten, typed, um, sent it to her school saying that if you don't come back or come to the meetings with us, you're going to die in Armageddon with your mother, brother, and sister. 
Wow. My daughter could grade not handle six. that emotion. Grade like, six, and you're putting that load on a, a little kid. <laughs> yeah, they put that on a, a, a sixth grader. Wow. You know, yeah. this, this whole subject of shunning, um, I'm going to tell you, when you look at the Bible and you read where the Bible says they would have no natural affection. That's them. <laughs> I, I, I cannot think of any religious group especially large religious group that fits that definition better than Jehovah's Witnesses, where they literally have as part of their policy, part of their ideology to have no natural affection. And the reason why is got to be one of the craziest reasons in the world, because you disagree with some pamphlets out of the United States printed in New York by some uninspired guy. That is absolutely amazing. You yep. disagree. Not, I've had people say, I don't disagree with the Bible. In fact, the Watchtower even had uh, a statement about why do y'all treat y'all people so? It's like, why do y'all treat people like this fellowship when the person still believes in the Bible, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, and all Moses and all this? And basically, the answer was basically for all practical purposes, the answer was because they don't believe in the pamphlet that we write. <laughs> That's the <laughs> right. reason why we treat them like that. And, and, and that is really what it is. If you disagree with that little pamphlet that they write that they don't even claim to be inspired then we put you over here in this group and it is absolutely it's amazing and I, and I just enjoy telling people who are not Jehovah's Witnesses exactly how it worked and then when they go back and ask a Jehovah's Witness about that the witness goes into the da 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 because they know they cannot answer it so, Carrie, I tell you, we, we really enjoyed the experiences that uh, you share with us, the, the personal life experience. Um, and I'm sure there are others who will find themselves saying she has gone through exactly what I've gone through. And hopefully they can look at your example and realize that, that like you said, there's life after Watchtower. And, Paul, as always, uh, we will appreciate the insight that you bring to the conversation because uh, many times people don't realize what is actually uh, underpinning all of this foolishness that we see taking place in people's lives and how the watchtower just literally, they will get into areas of people's life that they literally have no business. And so, Paul, we want to thank you as well for coming on our show today. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, it's been a good show, and we've enjoyed having them our guests. And once again, this is JT. And this has been Lady C. And we'll see you on the next video. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.